From Shonawana Falls to Half Dome, there's no lack of sights in Yosemite. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you back for another episode. Today, I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true Yosemite National Park horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'm looking for stories of all kinds, all the time. Now, let's get into these creepy and allegedly true Yosemite National Park Horror Stories. This experience I'm going to describe has taken a while for me to get together and finally write down and send into the show. I have experienced a few paranormal things, but this is probably the craziest one of them all. It takes place in Yosemite National Park in August of 2017 with my two best friends Zach and Andrew. Zach had worked that summer as a parking agent at Glacier Point and was familiar with the area. The employee housing, he was given a house in Wawona with two other guys. Andrew and I were visiting for the week and we each had been to Yosemite before. One of the nights there we decided to watch over the sunset over at Chonana Falls. It was a great hike that Zach had done before. The trail was about four miles to the top with about 2,000 foot elevation gain. We brought food and decided to hike up and take a swim and eat at the pool on top of the falls. We set out a couple of hours before sunset. As we approached the top portion, we were about a half mile to the top of the falls where a guy, about our age, early 20s, ran up to us from the bushes frantically asking for help. His friend had apparently fallen 50 feet off of a cliff and had shattered their femur. Zach was used to this. After working in the park all summer, he had seen many injuries and was used to this kind of thing. The man didn't have cell reception, but I did, so I called 911 and reported the incident, requesting search and rescue. After a few minutes, we decided we wanted to continue the hike after search and rescue assured us they would be there soon with the helicopter. We told the guy help was on the way and we continued the next half mile up to the top of the falls. When we finally got up there, it was a picture perfect scene. A beautiful sunset as we swam and ate. We then got a pretty amazing show as we saw the helicopter land to pick up the injured guy we had encountered right below us. I'm a private pilot and Air Force aviator, so I loved every second of watching the helicopter land on the mountainside. After the sunset, we began to hike down and past the spot where the injured guy and search and rescue team were taking care of him. We had a brief encounter with them. They thanked us for calling it in. It was not dark out and we continued the hike down. There was not much moonlight. It was dark so we used our phones as flashlights to see the trail. This is where the story truly gets interesting. The top of the hike was switchbacks with a steep incline on the right and a steep decline on the left, with shrubs and trees and all kinds of stuff. It was too steep to hike down, hence the switchbacks. About one mile into the hike down, Zach was in front with a light. I was second also shining my light, and Andrew was in the back. Zach was shining his light ahead and saw something sticking out from behind a tree that was about 15 feet ahead. 
just off to the right of the path, and instinctively shine the light at it. That's when whatever it was exposed itself in the tree and ran across the path, down to the left, and down the steep grade. It ran on two feet, and resembled some sort of humanoid. It was a little shorter than us, and very clearly had two arms and two legs, but it moved in an inhuman way. It kind of resembled a person. It had a head and its limbs appeared to be just skin, no clothes or anything. We all three saw it, and stopped dead in our tracks. We continued shining the light from where it ran, down the left side of the mountain, but we didn't see anything after it ran down. We were terrified, none of us really knowing what to say, because we had no idea what we really saw. The worst part was that we had another three mile hike down, and a mile and a half to the trailhead. Then we still had to go to Zach's house, all while knowing this creature could be stalking us and be near. Luckily we made it to Zach's house, all without being harmed. Whatever it was must have just been there to scare us or something. My question is, is if anybody else has had any similar experience in this area. I've done some research, and my best guess would be a skimwalker or something like that, but it didn't try to lure us into the forest with it. We have had subsequent experiences a couple of years later in Tioga Pass, right outside of the Tioga Gate. We were camping in a closed campground in Tioga. In the middle of the night, I woke up to use the bathroom, and before exiting the tent, I saw what looked like an orb about five feet from the tent, floating across. There was a bright light, but when I shined my light on it, there was nothing holding it. I don't think it was a person. I honestly don't. None of my friends have any ideas for what it is, and I have no idea either. I'd love to hear any suggestions in the comments, though. My name is Rob. I'm a 37-year-old avid hiker. The following incident happened 10 years ago. My love for nature had been with me since childhood. It became so strong I took a job working summers at Yosemite while I attended college. I did consider applying for a permanent job after school, but that was not to be. My life pushed me into an entirely different direction, but I'm still happy where I ended up. My decision to go into education gave me the opportunity to expand the minds of the young, but still have a large amount of time off to explore and enjoy the outdoors. The best of both worlds, as they would say. The week in which this story unfolded was just like any other summer week. I had taken a five-mile hike the month prior, and my family and I had a week-long camping trip scheduled for the last week before the start of the fall semester. The early part of the week had been taken up by the casual errands and small tasks to do around the house, but I knew that by Thursday, the remaining two days would be free to do whatever we wanted. When Thursday morning came around, I made the kids breakfast and once they finished, they scattered around the neighborhood to hang out with their friends. Being at the age that they could take care of themselves, 14 and 16 respectively, I was now free to do whatever I wanted now, I had this one last week to take our dog, lady, and myself for hikes in the hills outside of town. My wife worked into at least five every day, so I called to let her know what my plans were for the day. The call went to her voicemail, which was not really an odd thing considering she was a psychologist and more than likely was with a patient when I called. 
Anytime I went on my long walks or my hikes, whatever you choose to call it, I made sure to leave her as much information about where I would be going as I could, so she would know when to expect me or when to send help if I never come home. This is something everyone should do when they are going out into the outdoors. It's the smart thing to do. Anyway, with that taken care of, I grabbed my small pack and my dog's lead. Her name is Lady. We loaded up and headed out of town. We arrived at the park just before 10 a.m., and as far as I could tell, we were the only people really in the area. I hooked Lady up and let her out of the car. I threw on my pack and we headed down the trail. Once I was out of sight of the road, I stopped to take out my 38. I placed it on my holster and tucked it into my waistband. I do have a concealed carry weapon permit. I started carrying a pistol a few years ago. This happened when I came across a drug deal behind a grocery store and had a gun pulled on me. I was led to believe that I was about to die. I'm not sure if the guy was serious, but if I'm ever in a spot like that again, I'd like to at least be able to have even odds. But that's a story for another time. Lady and I had been hiking for about 10 minutes when we came to a blind corner. We were walking uphill, and we were unable to see what was on top of the hill. I had been out here before. I have hiked Yosemite many, many times, actually. But it had been several years since I came to this particular spot, and I could not remember which way the trail led. The only reason that this mattered at all was that Lady's behavior was getting weird as we neared the top of the hill. She had stopped and raised her head and began intensely sniffing the air. Since she had never done this before, I was unsure of whether she was smelling or what she was doing. But within a minute or so, she lowered her head back and started walking as usual. It was a head scratcher, but I wrote it off as regular dog funniness. At the top of the hill, I noticed that the trail split off into two directions, to the right and straight ahead, so I stopped to ponder in which direction we would go. I took the opportunity to take a drink from my bottle and poured some into my hand for Lady. She had three handfuls and I put the bottle back into my backpack. The plan was to go straight ahead to decrease the chance of getting lost. As I said, it had been quite a while since I had last been on this particular trail so I was erring on the side of safety. In the future, we would take the right fork and explore. We had plenty of time left. If we didn't make it this year, we could make it out some other time. Well, once we had slacked our thirst, Lady and I continued ahead. We had only managed a few more steps before an uproar occurred behind me. Looking back, I saw Lady was in full battle mode with a medium-sized dog. I began striking at the other dog with my walking stick, trying not to hit Lady. It was obvious that she was fighting for her life. Being a Cocker Spaniel, she didn't stand much of a chance against this larger dog, but I was darn sure that I wasn't going to let this mutt kill her. I kept swinging at the dog until one of the swings finally made a solid hit. It recoiled back for a second, and at first, I thought it was going to run off. This was when I got my first clear look at it and realized that this was no dog. This was a coyote. Unfortunately, rather than running away, it began approaching us again, but this time in a much more measured way. I could tell it was making the judgment as to whether it should attack or not. I'd had enough of this, and I wasn't going to give it a chance. I drew my pistol and shot it. It let out a short yelp and turned around to run, but dropped dead before it could take one step. My priority was to check on Lady. 
She was pretty bloody, but the only wounds that I could see were two deep puncture holes on the back of her neck and a deep tear to her leg. We were both really shaken up and I held her while I sat there and stared at the dead coyote. It took a few moments to get myself together, but once I did, I picked up Lady and ran to my car, where I had left my phone. I called the police and the animal control people, and they arrived in about 10 minutes. The police had been notified by the dispatcher that I was a concealed carry weapon holder, and I left my pistol on my front seat so they could examine it for whatever they might need to do under these circumstances. But once they were able to confirm that the coyote had only one wound and I had just fired one round in my gun, that was as far as they really took things. While I waited for the cops, I raided my first aid kit for bandages to treat Ludie's wounds, at least in the best way I could until I got her to the vet. I quickly led them to the body of the coyote, and they released me so I could take her to the vet. Luckily, the clinic found no other wounds on her. Once she was cleaned up, all it took was 20 staples and some bandages. However, they followed this good news up with bad news that she would have to be kept in quarantine for 10 days to be observed for signs of rabies. I was not overly concerned, but rabies is something that can happen. And she had just got a new shot two months prior though, so hopefully she'll be alright. The worst part would be having to explain to the family that she would be away for all that time. She was a very important part of the family and she had doubtlessly been upset herself. She had never spent a single day without us. During Lady's 10 days away, the investigation took place. The police were satisfied with my description of the attack and closed their part of the case. Apparently, it came out in some media soon after that that the coyote had been chasing and stalking multiple joggers and one report stated that a local resident's dog had been ripped through their chain fence by this same coyote. The animal control department notified me that the coyote did not have rabies, and after the 10-day period, Lady got to go home. She certainly seemed happy to see us, and I can guarantee that we were all overjoyed to see her. After a few follow-ups, she was given a clean bill of health, and she was completely healed up in three months. There is one lingering effect on the attack, however. When I take her on walk, she spends a lot of time looking behind her to make sure there is no other animal that can sneak up on her. The fact is... If I'm being honest, I'm a little jumpy on walks myself, so I can't really blame her. When it's all said and done, respect nature, whether it's in Yosemite National Park or anywhere else in the world. Hi, this happened around August of this year. I'm not sure of what we experienced or if there was anything paranormal about it, but here it goes. It's also a bit of a long story, so I do apologize for that. So this took place while we were hiking up to Half Dome. We had a campground about 20 minutes drive away from the trailhead, and the group was composed of me, an 18-year-old male, my uncle, a 32-year-old male, and my uncle's friend, I'll call him D. There were also two girls with us, but they're not really relevant to the story. My uncle and his friend are both Christian, so there were no substances consumed that could induce the feelings that I will be talking about. We get to our campsite, set up camp, and go to sleep after eating. We plan to wake up at 4am and start the hike by 4.30. I randomly wake up at 3.30am, completely wide awake and ready to go. I look out of my hammock and I remember feeling this odd feeling, as if I were woken up by something. 
and I remember looking out at the moonlight scene. The moon was very bright for some reason, and thinking to myself, it looks like a dream. I lay back down in my hammock, but just cannot go back to sleep. I end up waking up my uncle and our friend at about 3.50 a.m. My uncle says, Were you walking around last night? I say no and ask him why. He says he woke up for some reason and can hear someone walking around. Not like an animal, but a person. I say, huh, that's weird, and we try to brush it off. We get to the trailhead at around 4.30 a.m., and as everyone is unloading from the car, Dee says he's going to use the bathroom, which there are a couple before the trailhead. I walk behind him for some time, before falling behind and waiting for my uncle, who forgot something in the car. The short, straight road from the parking lot runs directly into a T-intersection with the road to the trailhead. The bathroom is directly across on the intersection through the field. Those who have been here know exactly what I'm talking about. We get to the intersection and wait for D to come out of the bathroom. We wait for about 10 minutes before I go back and check the bathroom. He isn't there. I get back to my uncle and tell him that. He says, Weird, maybe he went back to the car or something. We decide to wait a little bit more. By 5.10 we begin to worry. My uncle goes to check the car while I wait at the intersection to make sure we don't miss him if he went down the road away from the trailhead. My uncle returns and says he's not there either. We decide maybe he went up to the trailhead without us, for some reason, and walk up there in about 10 minutes. He isn't there either. We are kind of baffled now, because there are no other logical places he could have went. I decide to run back down to the car and the bathroom again. I meet him halfway before I get to the intersection. He is sweaty and disheveled with a weird look in his eyes. I say, where have you been? He says that he went to the bathroom, and when he got back to the intersection, we weren't there. I say, what do you mean? We were waiting here this entire time, for over an hour. We checked the car, the bathroom, the trailhead, and you weren't here. He says, well, I don't know. I went to the bathroom. He then asks me where my uncle is. I say at the trailhead. He asks me again. And I tell him again, and note that it was weird that he asked me twice. As we're crossing the bridge to the trailhead, he sees a light off on the riverbank and exclaims, Maybe that's him. And I just look at him and keep walking. I thought his behavior was very strange, like he wasn't thinking straight, like he wasn't all there. We finally get on with the hike, and it goes by as normal, except that we seem to keep on losing things, such as my uncle's small red flashlight and one of the girl's gloves a water bottle, etc. It's like we just simply forgot about the items and couldn't remember where we left them. On the way back it got pretty dark and we turned on our flashlights and as we neared the end of the hike, after the last two waterfalls, it begins to seem as if we were walking for far too long. It feels like we had been walking in circles almost. My uncle also confirms this, asking me, doesn't it seem like it's taking way longer to get back? I say yeah, I was just thinking that. We keep walking, but it still seems like we aren't making any real progress. I've been on that trail many times, and as I was walking, I could not spot any familiar landmarks. It was weird. There was this feeling. It was odd. You could feel it in the air. Sort of like a slight menacing feeling. It's hard to describe. I remember thinking, it feels like the woods are alive. We remarked three more times about how long the hike is taking and begin to laugh at it because it felt so ridiculous. 
After a bit longer, we finally and suddenly find ourselves on the final stretch and make it back to the car. Now, all of this seemed very odd at the time, but I just brushed it off. I only realized how weird these events were after the fact. I honestly don't know what to make of all of this. My uncle kind of looks at everything different now, and honestly I look at things different too, but I wanted to share this and see if there were any opinions in the swamp. I was at Yosemite National Park last spring break. I was with my friend Christine, her family, and two other families that had kids around our age, between 15 and 17. The parents were super boring and didn't have many activities planned, so we decided to find big rocks to climb. We did this because two of the boys, who were brothers, were obsessed with rock climbing. They had the gear for free climbing, but they were not good at all. We start off by following a trail and off to the right are a bunch of rocks piled up. We walk over there, I forgot to mention that there are about seven of us, and we start climbing all over the rocks. It was a little damp so everyone but the two brothers were very cautious. After about 20 minutes of going from rock to rock, we came across this mountain. I don't know which one it was. It was not El Capitan or Half Dome, but it was rather big. I will try to post pictures of it if I can find it somewhere. Anyway, we see this ledge kind of thing that was easy to climb, so four of us go up about 20 feet and come back down. It is hard to explain, but hopefully you can Google it and find it someday. So the wall seems to go on forever, so we start walking along the wall and there was this little hill we had to go over. We did, and I remember at one point I turned around and I could see Half Dome. It was so beautiful. I could see the tree line and it was amazing. Two days go by and every day for about two hours, we would go up to the same route and get to the wall. It was our hangout zone for the week and we really enjoyed it. There were no parents, no trails, no people but us and a few squirrels here and there. It is about 6.30 and it is time for dinner. My friend's parents are South African so they were making a South African stew. As we start to descend from the ledge, we hear somebody calling my friend Christine's name. We assume her dad had found us since we told her parents about the wall. We reply, we're coming. Now we head in the direction of the voice, but there was nobody there. So we assumed that her father went back to the campsite after we replied. We get back to the campsite and all the parents are sitting around. We don't mention the name calling because we honestly thought it was her dad. The next day we go up there, we are at the rocks that you must get over to get to the wall. The oldest brother, Jared, says, Guys, keep looking forward. Christine said, What, do you see a bear? Jared then looked at her and said, How far away are we from the trail? Christine responds, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards. Now, any logical hiker knows that you do not go off trail for safety reasons. We should have stayed on the trail since the beginning, but we are stupid. Jared then tells everyone to stop and to get close. I start looking around at about 50 feet away. I see a man who was skinny, had a beard, dreadlocks, and a flannel on. He was holding a flashlight. He was just staring at us. We all freaked out and climbed down as fast as we could. And about halfway down we hear, Christine... That's when we basically flew off the rocks and hauled our butts back to the campsite. 
We told our parents and the next day we switched campsites. We told the park rangers and had descriptions of the man, but everyone in the local vicinity of the campground did not meet the description. About five years ago, my wife and I went on a weekend camping trip with our two closest friends, who are also another married couple. The campsite is just outside of Yosemite, and is absolutely beautiful. The beauty of it, and creepiness of it, is that you take a dirt road for about an hour and a half off the main road to get to it. It is extremely secluded, but never felt threatening. It's a popular campsite, so there were always people around, especially in the summer months when this occurred. The first day was awesome. I don't remember exactly what we did, but I remember having a great time. The campsites are all close together and usually separated by various shrubs. I remember we were all pumped about the site we got, as there were no neighbors on one side, just forest, and no one occupying the site next to us. This is pretty uncommon, as these campgrounds stay fully booked throughout the summer. Day two started normally. We had breakfast, then headed to the lake for a couple of hours. The lake was about a 20-minute hike from the main campground. When we got back at around 2-ish, we noticed that the site next to us now had a silver rental car parked on it. We didn't think too much of it and went about our way making our fire to start our cooking. At some point, we noticed the occupant of the site next to us, an average-looking white guy, maybe in his early 40s. Honestly, he was so average-looking that it was hard to even picture him. We all immediately caught on to the fact that he was constantly looking over at us. My friend Dave made a comment to me under his breath. You notice this guy keeps looking over here, right? I remember feeling a little uncomfortable, as we were still in bathing suits from the lake, but I made a conscious effort to ignore it. It's worth mentioning that we were a little buzzed and drunk. Not out of control or anything, just feeling pretty good. Throughout the afternoon and into the evening, we continued to notice the guy constantly looking over at us. In hindsight, Dave or I should have called out to him. The story doesn't really make us look great, but whatever. I had been stressed at work prior to the trip, and really didn't want to let some creepy dude throw off my relaxed vibe. This is stupid, I know. The alcohol, coupled with the fact that we honestly kind of felt bad for him, led us to not confront him. Yes, it was very creepy, but I told myself he was just an awkward, lonely guy, and tried to think nothing of it. Aside from the staring, there were a couple of other weird incidents that occurred leading up to the very weird stuff. The first was that at some point, he left his sight to go do whatever. While he was gone, a girl, probably in her mid-twenties around our age, walked by and snapped a picture of his license plate. I remember asking her if she needed anything, and she smiled awkwardly and kept walking. Dave and I both thought this was odd, but we were preoccupied with beer. Later into the evening, around 7-ish, the camp host was doing her rounds checking people in. She checked us in and moved on to him. I remember us all eavesdropping intently to hear what they were saying. I think we just wanted to hear what this creep sounded like. He kept asking questions about the bathhouse. We didn't know that there was a bathhouse, or even what a bathhouse was, but he had a hundred different questions about it. Where is it? How late is it open? Is it private? Maybe not that weird, but in context, odd. The sun started to go down. We were all drunk, so we weren't too concerned with Creepy Dude anymore. 
At one point, we all went for a walk and noticed him snooping around on what we believed to be the bathhouse. Now, I would kind of call out this behavior in hindsight, but again, I was drunk and five years stupider at this time. We all laughed and talked about how creepy he was. Back at the site, we continued to drink and have a good time. At one point, the guy started eating beans aggressively out of a can in the light of a single lantern with no fire. He looked at us while doing it the entire time, and Dave and I kind of snickered to each other at how weird it was. I don't think the girls noticed. Eventually, we decided to go to bed. I think the guy had left his sight again at this point. I kind of remember us making jokes. I better not wake up to that dude looking in our window. My wife and I slept in our SUV with the seats folded down. Dave and Sarah slept in the camper shell of their truck. I remember feeling a little creeped out as I fell asleep but shrugged it off. At around 2.30am, both my wife and I were jolted awake by what sounded like a woman's scream. We both looked at each other and asked if we both heard that. We concluded that it was probably some other people being loud and we decided to go back to sleep. As I was trying to go back to sleep, I started to feel very unsettled. I decided to get out of the car and look around. I cracked my door, trying to be as quiet as possible. I had gotten about one leg out of the car when I heard a faint but direct whispering coming from Dave and Sarah's camper shell about four feet away. I froze and then heard it again. I eventually realized that they were trying to tell me something. I whispered back, What? And I heard Dave clearly say, Start your car. I instantly realized that something was wrong. So rather than ask questions, I climbed back in to start my car. Right away, Dave and Sarah burst out of the back of the camper and frantically jumped into my car. They told me to drive. They were too freaked out to explain, so I drove kind of aimlessly. Eventually, I pulled over, figuring that we were far enough from whatever had freaked them out. Finally, Sarah calmed down enough to tell us what had happened. As she put it, she was woken by a light coming from the creepy dude's campsite. Apparently, he had set up lanterns and flashlights to spotlight himself completely naked, masturbating in the direction of our cars. She also mentioned that he was flaccid and not able to finish. A gross detail, but I feel it's important for you all to know, because if I have to suffer with it, so do you guys. It gets weirder. At some point, he stopped and turned off the lights and began using a flashlight to signal across a small ravine that campsites backed up to. I'm talking like Morse code stuff. Across the ravine, an old RV began using its headlights to signal back. Dave was awake by this point. I questioned them on this detail and they both said it was very clear that they were communicating. After that, he turned off his light. Keep in mind, it is absolutely pitch black out there at night. After a few minutes, they heard footsteps around their car, followed by a hard tap on the window. That is when Sarah started screaming, hence waking me up. At this point, I decided that we needed to call the police. The problem was there was absolutely zero cell service at the campsite. Furthermore, it was about an hour and a half to get to any sort of civilization. Plus, leaving at night wasn't really an option. We decided the best course of action was to stay alert and keep the camp host up to date with what was happening. We drove around and eventually found the trailer she lived in. She was understandably confused to be woken up at 3.30 in the morning, but was responsive. She mentioned that the guy was weird when she checked him in and called the police on her satellite phone. Apparently, there was a massive wildlife fire burning that weekend, and the police said they wouldn't be able to send anyone out until sunrise. The camp host said there really wasn't anything else she could do beyond calling the police, 
It really sucked hearing that. Basically, we were stuck in our car in the pitch blackness, while some crazy masturbating dude was out and about. Not to mention, whoever was in that RV. One more weird thing happened though. At around 4am, we were all still sitting in my car when a man in a hood walked right up to the window. The second I noticed him, I turned on my engine and headlights. He ran off into the trees. We all sat in my car until sunrise. Once it was light out, we went back to the site to pack up our things. His car was still there, with blankets hung in all the windows. The whole thing just felt gross. We wanted to get the hell out of there, so we quickly packed up and left. A couple of hours after we left, I got a call from the police. They said they went out to the campsite and questioned the guy. He was simply showering. The cop told me there was nothing he could do. It was our word against his. He also questioned the people in the RV. They said they didn't know what he was talking about, but mentioned, and I quote, a very rude camper screamed in the middle of the night. The whole experience with the police was frustrating. I tried following up. I even tried getting help from my family members who's a sheriff, but even he said there wasn't really anything they could do unless a police chief really wanted to investigate this guy. So, that's my story. I learned a lesson about being polite when someone is making you feel uncomfortable. Nowadays, I'm much more aggressive with creepy people. I also know it's easy to hear this story and wonder why Dave or myself didn't just confront the guy, especially when he's literally masturbating at your car. But, I don't know. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true Yosemite National Park Horror Stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button, as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the channel. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, please give this a 5-star rating, as that truly helps me a ton over there. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new video as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to submit to hear in a future episode, whether it's a story from Yosemite National Park or something completely different, I'm looking for all kinds of scary stories. Send them in at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories wherever you go, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcasts online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool swamp threads. Don't forget to join me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.